gifted by grace but diligent in ministry. Romans 12, 6 through 8. If anything, I'm just loud. That's what I hear. But Romans 12, 6 through 8. Paul writes and says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's the important phrase. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with, with cheerfulness. If you think back, what we saw in the last couple weeks, especially in the last study, is the way that Paul pictures Christians with with renewed minds and transformed lives. So if you went back to Romans 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we looked at, and now 6 through 8, if you picture Christians with renewed minds and transformed lives, the only place Paul... Could you pull it down just a little bit more? The only place Paul pictures them is, is in a local church. That's how it works. That's how God works in our lives. Verses 3, 4, and 5, they picture Christians in the only place the Holy Spirit can grow them. And that's in a local church. God has no plan to build your life spiritually apart from your involvement in a local church. It cannot and will not ever happen. And so, this picture of the body. Each one is pictured as a part. That's what we looked at last Sunday night. That's where I did the story of finding my index finger in your chicken soup at Swiss Chalet. There's something gross about an unattached member. That was the point of that. So each one of us has a part. That's how the body works. Pick any part you want. Pick any part of your body. It won't exist all by itself. Detach it. It's dead. And so we're meant to get the message. The only place we can be unconformed, do not be conformed to this world. The only place your life is going to become unconformed to this world is in a local church. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only place your mind is going to be transformed is in a local church. And we don't think of it that way. We don't think of it that way. Today we discover more. In verses 6, 7, and 8, we learn this concept of church. Everything God wants to do, he wants to do in a local church. And now we learn in 6, 7, and 8 that it's not enough just to be in the church. So the church isn't a club. The parts can't just flail about randomly. And they certainly don't create a body just because they're in the same room. Here we are. This doesn't make the body of Christ just because you're sitting relatively close to someone. Each part must be attached and each part, that was last week, attached and each part must be fulfilling its purpose. That's what makes the church different from 
a crowd. Go to a ball game, you're part of a crowd. Go to a church, any size church, and you're not supposed to be part of a crowd. You're a member of a body with a purpose to fulfill. It would be a mistake to assume that we all, especially in North America, that we all get this truth. The most common question we get asked by people who don't know us, the most common question betrays an unspoken, defective picture that the average person you know has of the church. Here's what you'll usually get asked. People don't know you. They're going to say, what church do you attend? And there it is. Attend. What church do you attend? The question implies the church is the place where you go. In a sense, I guess, I hope that's true, but I hope we've all matured beyond that meaningless, mystical mindset that just mumbles something about, you know, not needing to go to church because I'm just part of the universal body of Christ. That's just babble. It means nothing. And I'll tell you why I know that. That's not just my opinion. I know that because I read my New Testament and neither Paul nor Peter nor James nor John nor anybody else for that matter ever wrote an epistle addressed to no particular church in particular, just the body of Christ. There's no such book in the New Testament. Everything we know about the church was written to a place on a map. Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, Jerusalem. There was a structure, there was a place that that letter was taken to, and that was the body of Christ that was being addressed. There is no body of Christ if you dissolve the local church. The local church is the manifestation of the body of Christ. It's how it exists in this world. What else? So yes... We do go to church in a perfectly good, literal sense. But is that all there is to it? Or is there something more about our engagement in Cedarview? Cedarview Community Church. Paul says there is. Through Christ, we don't just go to church. Our spiritual life is a shared spiritual life with other members of this body. Here are the points I want to cover tonight. Point number one, gifted ministry in the church takes much discipline and concentrated effort. I get that in the very first part of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and then underline, let us use them. Let us use them. That's not attendance. That's a gift being used. So when ministry doesn't happen through a Christian's life, it's never because there's no potential or no gift to be used. Those first two words in verse 6 are pretty emphatic. Having gifts. We are all described as having. That's the condition. We're in the condition of having. You may not have figured yours out. 
You might not be using it, but you have a gift. You have a gift that's meant to be used in Cedarview Community Church. There's no one who doesn't have. There is no one not having in Paul's wording. We have all been gifted by grace for some kind of ministry. So, when ministry doesn't happen through my life, Paul will not allow any passing of the buck. It's never God's fault. I just, there's just nothing I can do. Not very gifted. No Christian has been pre-selected by the Holy Spirit for perpetual uselessness in a local church. Nobody. There's an enormous amount of misunderstanding here. People equate effective ministry with giftedness. They equate it in a way that's almost like automatic. Maybe let's just get a specific example from the text. Maybe we should say it this way. Prophetic ministry doesn't come just from the gift of prophecy. You might think it would or should, but it doesn't. A serving ministry doesn't come just from having a gift of service. A teaching ministry doesn't come just from having the gift of teaching. Prophetic ministry comes not from having the gift of prophecy. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. It comes from using the gift of prophecy in a scriptural and biblical way. A teaching ministry doesn't come from having the gift of teaching. A teaching ministry comes from using the gift of teaching in a scriptural, biblical way. And the same with all of them, showing mercy, giving, serving. I think verse 6 should be inscribed over the doors of every church. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and then in capitals, let us use them. How many churches are like how many churches are like great big warehouses full of inventory a warehouse full of giftedness a warehouse full of inventory boxes stacked from floor to ceiling but nothing being shipped out it's not a good business model any business person will tell you that's a recipe for a disaster. It's not what you have on the shelves that counts. It's what you're using and putting out to the marketplace. That's how spiritual gifts work. Point number two. I want to look at this whole process of self-discovery regarding spiritual giftedness and how it happens. Because it happens in the context of a local church. And I want to tell you why I think that's so important. Uh, I have I have about 7,600 books in my library. Now you know why my car isn't paid for. And, and there's reams of them, a shelf full of books on how to know what your spiritual gift is. There are lists. I've got books with graphs and charts 
and tests. There are Christian counselors, Christian classes, Christian seminars, Christian blogs. And strangely, strangely, in the New Testament, you, you, you don't have, you have with slight variation, here are what the gifts are, but there's nothing that will tell you, here's how you find out what your gift is. There's not a verse in the Bible that tells you how to discover your spiritual gift. Why would that be? Why isn't there a self-checkup, a list, something you can fill in the blanks and find out, oh, that's my gift. And you don't see it anywhere in the Bible. All you will see is something like our text. Having gifts, let us use them. So the gifts are listed and described, but there's no process outlined for plotting and charting and graphing and analyzing what your gift is. And I think that's on purpose. That's what I think. I think the New Testament is on to something that the modern church is missing. And what we're missing is something that's virtually assumed in the New Testament when it talks about any believer with his or her gift. Let, let me explain. I'm personally convinced that God never meant for me to find my gift by intricate self-analysis. I don't think I'll find it in some textbook. And I think... For the most part, it's a dangerous game to go to somebody else and have them tell you what your spiritual gift is. There are some exceptions. I get it. I think there are some exceptions to almost any rule. But in this case, I think those are very, very rare exceptions. So what are we going to do? How are we going to discover what our spiritual gift is? How are we going to know? Let's start with the basics. In the context of our text, my gift fits me into my ministry into the body of believers in my local church. I mean, Paul simply assumes that any discussion of spiritual gifts is meaningless apart from my entrenched commitment to a local body of believers in some local congregation. And that's the starting place. If you want to know what your gift is, Get into a church, one church, a local church, and start getting involved in ministry in that church. In some way, find an avenue where you can serve. This is what Paul has been putting forward in verses 4 and 5, if you back up in the text just a wee bit, where he says, For as in one body we have members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members one of another. Very well. We're all a part. We're all some part of this body, and our gift is tied in with which part we are. But how do the parts find their place? How do the parts determine what part they are, what their role should be? Well, let's just think about the way a physical body works for a minute. Any physical body. Doesn't it have to be a person? Let's focus especially on how the parts of the body learn their role and start to function. Because I think that's the only path the New Testament takes. I love, I love to, I, I'm the only one in our household that loves these, but I love those, um, 
the BBC Earth or National Geographic, any of those kind of shows. I have to find a time when I'm like the only one home and I can watch them. I'm picturing the birth of a, a newborn impala on the African Serengeti. And that little creature is so different from the graceful, the graceful creatures you see floating across the plain in full stride. That newborn, nothing but a gangly, mucus-covered assortment of uncontrollable, improportionate limbs. You've probably seen it. There's a lot of motion, a lot of commotion, but it just doesn't seem like any of the parts are going where they're supposed to be going. But he quickly learns. First, crawling along, legs kind of splayed, maybe finally propping himself up onto his knees. That can't be right. And then wobbly all over. Two legs start to straighten, then three. Then back to two. Finally all four, then down, then up again. Finally kind of a faltering little walk. By the end of the day, there's a full run. But there aren't any pamphlets telling that little fellow how to get the parts working and what they are supposed to be doing, how they're to be directed. There's no manual about the legs working better under the frame of the body than out to the side. No. That little body, it feels its way along. The parts fit themselves appropriately as they are used, and they find their proper use only as they're attached and moving along with the other parts of the body in tow. That's the key point. I think that's why Paul uses the illustration of the human body as a picture of how we fit our giftedness into the rest of the church. And key to all of it is, you don't remember a time when you weren't with the rest of the body. In loving fellowship, in mutual humility, in mutual submission, you found out where what you could do fit. You discovered how everything moved along in the church and how you could help it do so. At the same time, you learn, not from a book, but from this spiritually guided experience in your local church, you started to see where, you know what, I can do that. I can't do that, but that doesn't mean I can't do anything. I can do that. That will help this. This will make that work better. The whole thing will start to have motion in it if I just do my part here. But you won't discover that sitting at home praying that the Lord will show you your spiritual gift. Do you understand what I'm saying? People who aren't in the body of Christ in regular, disciplined fellowship. People who just float around from church to church in the universal body of Christ wanting to splash around their gift will never come to know what their ministry is all about. Never. They'll never figure it out. Gifts 
Here's maybe the way I can say it. Gifts click more into place like Lego than an individual work of art. All the pieces are meant to snap into a specific place and attach, not to be hung alone in galleries for people to admire. Point number three. There's one more key to discovering your gift in the local body of Christ, and, and it's humility. You see it in the first part of that sixth verse. Having, having, that's the first thing. We have gifts. You do. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The grace given. Isn't it interesting that the gift is actually called a grace? It's given. So here is one final key in the process of maturing in spiritually gifted ministry. Paul says all of the gifts come to us on only one basis. Gifts. Grace. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Tell yourself that over and over. Gifts don't come from spiritual merit. Like a reward. They're not a badge. They don't come from being spiritually holier than someone else. We never qualify for any kind of gifting from the Godhead. God just gives them to us out of his boundless mercy. So they're no more earned. Whatever gift you have, whatever gift I have, it's no more earned than my salvation is earned. I think we probably all know that. I don't think anybody would disagree but I think there's a reason Paul emphasizes it right here at this point in his teaching. See, if gifts are for the local body, and if we learn our place and use them in interaction with other members of the body, it just stands to reason that occasionally we'll all make mistakes somewhere along the way. There's a potential for a huge problem here. Because proud people don't learn very well from others when they make mistakes. Proud people don't learn very well from others when they make mistakes. Proud people don't like being corrected, even gently helped along. Proud people are usually independent people, especially with their spiritual gift. I think I'm a better teacher than that person. How come they got that class and I didn't? That kind of thing. You can be proud with a gift and it renders it absolutely fruitless and useless in the body of Christ. Churches are never blessed by proudly gifted members. God has a plan. He has a remedy for this. He tells us all of us, right off the bat, that our gifts only feel like they're ours. They're not really ours at all. They, they come from God. He gives them. 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit distributes them as he wills. That means we can use them diligently, and we should, but we can never use them arrogantly, 
We are all learners together because we never qualified for any gift. We aren't measured by them either. And that, that releases a life-giving, observable freedom in any church. And I want to wrap this up by just giving one example. There's lots of them. I want to just show you a beautiful example of this um, giftedness with humility. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 33. Paul talks about, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 13 gets read at every wedding that's ever performed, and Paul never had a wedding in the back of his mind when he wrote those verses. They're, they're verses written about spiritual gifts and their use in the church. He never pictured a bride and groom coming down an aisle when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. We choose it because we don't like the other things that the Bible says about husbands and wives, and 1 Corinthians 13 is just a safe bet to not offend anybody at a wedding. That's why we do it. But he talks in 12, 13, and 14 about how some of those more public gifts, they aren't higher rated or anything else, but they are more quickly observable. Prophecy, tongues and interpretation, and how they, and Paul says, by the way, prophecy is the gift to strive for in the body of believers. Better than tongues and interpretation, he says clearly. Prophecy, strive to prophesy. Prophecy, maybe you're here from a different church background, the way we understand the gift of prophecy, the way I understand the gift of prophecy is, it's uh, an insight. God gives an insight to someone in the speaker's own words. In other words, I think if someone gets up, now this isn't, this isn't in your notes, this is a little comma, and I want to ramble for just a minute, and then we'll get back to it. When you hear somebody in any church, this church or any other church, kind of stand up and say, Yea, my people, thus saith the Lord thy God. You can know right off the bat that however sincere they are, and I'm sure they are, they're basing that type of speech on something they've heard in Pentecostal circles for generations. But there's nothing in the New Testament that indicates that that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is a, a revelation from God given to a person that the person puts in his own words. And it helps amplify something else that was said in the service. Let me just give you an illustration of how it might work. Say there's been a, a sermon or a teaching and a pastor has talked about God's grace. God's grace coming into lives at their point of need and whatever we've done that Jesus will always cleanse and always forgive and always pardon and trust in that, okay? Trust in that. Closes his Bible, time of worship, prayer. Here's how the gift of prophecy, I think, ideally would work. Someone might come to Pastor Ron or Chris, come to the front and say, you know, here, I really think, and here's the prophetic word, here's what I think God is showing me. Or he might just say, I really think there are people I think God is trying to show us that there are people who feel they've gone too far and can't be forgiven anymore because they've failed repeatedly. And now, in spite of what the Bible says, you find it really hard to accept divine forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit just wants to assure us. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking, and he just wants to assure us that if there are four or five people and you feel like, you know what, this might work for other people, but it'll never work for me, God just wants you to know that he wants you to take that scripture for yourself to your heart that's how the gift of prophecy should work it takes a biblical truth that was just scattered generally that's what a sermon does for everybody 
And then the Holy Spirit says, but there might be somebody that's finding that hard to accept. And the Spirit wants to speak to the church and say, don't you for a minute think that that's not for you. Because it is. Okay, that's how I think prophecy works. So Paul talks about a situation here, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, here's the topic that's back into the notes. Exercising a gift with humility, okay? Here's a situation Paul talks about. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 33. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. By the way, that's why it's not just divine dictation. God's word for word, God speaking to the church. Because Paul would never say weigh what's said or discern if it was 100% divine every time. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that you check and see if the book of Revelation is true. Like we don't do that because that's God's word in a different sense than prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. Look at this. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. People miss that. That doesn't mean in a single service everybody's supposed to prophesy. He means you can all... There's, there's no one to whom God can't give that gift. Don't think because you prophesied once, you're the resident prophet in that church. Anybody God can use. That's what he's saying there. But here's the scene. It's a public setting. It's in the church at Corinth. A good-sized congregation. Paul pictures somebody standing up sincerely. I really think, I really think here's what the Lord would like to say in this situation. And he starts then maybe there's another guy sitting here and maybe the prophecy starts well but gets rambly or hard to follow that happens sometimes we don't do it perfectly um starts off with something really solid and then moves into something kind of peripheral and not to the point anyway paul says there's a guy over here that stands up this is in front of everybody and says i you know i think that's a little off I think that's a little off. And this first speaker, so this second speaker stands up and says that, and this first speaker, very beautifully, Paul says, he just sits down. No arguing. Not trying to defend his reputation. Hey, I'm the prophet here. I started first. You know, nothing like that. And it's this beautiful example. Here's a person. Here's a person exercising a gift fallibly like we all do and he just quietly sits down and he's submissive he's correctable he's teachable and there's not a word in his defense that's spoken that's what that's what paul means when he talks about how gifts get used in the church the safe way the safe way is humbly if it's in the body that we discover and learn what our gifts are, first of all. How can I fit here? Where are we going? What can I do that helps propel the direction that we're doing here? If it's in the church that I discover what my gift is, and if it's in the church that I learn to use whatever gift I have, there's only one way we're all going to learn, every one of us. We're going to learn, sometimes doing well, and sometimes making mistakes. Agreed? We're going to learn doing well sometimes and sometimes making mistakes. We will all try some things that don't pan out. We'll have to step out sometimes and try if we're going to obey Paul and use the gift we've been given. 
But as long as we're linked together in mutual love, as long as we're committed to serving, and as long as we are humble enough to learn and submit to one another as we learn and grow, the Holy Spirit will bring about fruit beyond our wildest imagination through very ordinary people, ordinary people like us who use our gifts. Now, we don't have Thanksgiving Sunday night. It's not a good night, you know. Uh, when I made up the, the notes, I, didn't, I forgot about Thanksgiving Sunday night. So there's lots of notes tonight. But there's enough of us here. There's enough of us in this room to revolutionize Cedarview Community Church if everyone said, walked out through those doors and said, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? What am I supposed to be doing here? How can I do it? What, what abilities has God given me? And how can I use them in a way that reflects the presence of the Holy Spirit? How can I do it in such a way that shows my mutual submission, teachability, and desire to be a blessing, a fruitful blessing in the ministry of this church? It doesn't take a lot of people. You walk by that board out there. There's a, there's a, it's on the wall right by the special events desk. And... You know, there's only about 10 things on there that we've been looking for for half a year. And this church, on a good Sunday, this church Sunday morning's packed. Do you know how hard it is to get 10 people out of that crowd to go by and say, I can do that. Let me put my name on there. You know what, if I can't do it really well, I'm not stupid, I can learn. And if I find out that's not for me, then I'll find something else. Find something you can do. Don't just be good. Be good for something in the body of Christ. And everybody said?